With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, everybody? Uh, welcome to the first edition of the Talking Chop Podcast. I'm really excited to start this off. I am Carlos Colazzo, along with Brad Rowland. How are you doing today, Brad? I'm good. Um, actually, an, inter- an interesting position as we record this, so we could talk about that. Might be some background noise, but uh, I'm good. Ready to talk some baseball and some Braves. Yeah, so me and Brad have done this before uh, at former former sites, talking about the Atlanta Braves, and I'm really excited to do it again. Um, I figured before we got started, we could just talk a little bit about ourselves so you guys could get to know a little bit more about us if you don't know who we are and why we're talking to you right now. But um, Brad, do you want to start off, kick it off, see how, tell everyone how you got started writing, covering the Braves? And um, if you want, you can tell us a little bit about what you're looking at right now, because that sounds pretty cool as well. <laughs> yeah, um, uh, lifelong Braves fan. Uh, started out blogging uh, kind of on my own in like 2008. Um, been in a couple sites before this. Carlos and I worked together at a uh, an, another local blog um, called ATL All Day, uh, where we did some Braves and some other stuff there together. Um, I also write for SB Nation's Peachtree Hoops uh, website, which covers the Atlanta Hawks. I'm local in Atlanta, um, so I'm kind of somewhat plugged in uh, to everything that's going on locally. And in fact, I'm currently in Phillips Arena. Um, in advance of a uh, an Atlanta Hawks game tonight, which you might you might be hearing some uh, some scoreboard buzzers, that kind of stuff. The Hawks are warming up as we speak. Um, that's what we do, and I'm always uh, sort of on the scene here. But uh, been a talking shop for about a year and a half now. Um, spent all of last season uh, covering and doing what we do, and hopefully uh, giving the people what they want, as Jalen Rose likes to say. <laughs> so uh, that's it for me, I think, and I'm I'm sure we'll share some more as we get going. All right, very cool. Yeah, mine, mine is definitely a similar, a similar story. I grew up a Braves fan for the most part. There was a there was a dark stretch in my past where I was young and I pulled for the Giants simply because of a J.T. Snow baseball card. But that passed quickly once TBS started showing baseball games all the time. So I've been a Braves fan for probably since I was ten years old. Started writing about the Braves and about baseball around my junior senior year in high school. Uh, started getting involved with some bigger sites. Joined the fan sided network. Um, started work writing for Tomahawk Take with Fansided, then moved to ATL All Day with you. Um, Last summer, actually, I was fortunate enough to get an internship with MLB.com, along with Mark Bowman, who I'm sure all of you already know. If you don't know, then you're really doing a disservice to yourself as a Braves fan. But that was an awesome experience, being able to just be around the team, covering them, and talking to the players and the coaches, and just being at the TED all year, like I'm sure you're used to, Brad. But um, I started with Talking Chop shortly after the season ended, and I'm really excited to be a part of the site. It's been a staple uh, in the Braves blogging world for as long as I've been around, for sure. And uh, I'm really excited to start this podcast up and get it going. We're hoping to come to you guys once a week throughout the season, 
make this a regular thing. Uh, I know Brad is, is very insightful with his analysis, and we're also going to try to have on a lot of the writers who are on the site kind of cycle them through and have them give their opinions, their, their thoughts on the players, the organization, the prospects. So I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are ready to go. <laughs> All right. Um, we're about two weeks away from pitchers and catchers reporting to spring training. So um, really this is probably the, the most boring part of the off season before we can actually see some baseball being played and, and get to see how players are doing, uh, what the teams are going to be looking like as we approach opening day. So I wanted to take a step back and, and really get your opinions on the Braves' off season, Brad. Uh, there's obviously some big moves that the Braves pulled, some jettisoning of players that maybe the fans didn't really want to see leave. But in general, I've heard nothing but but positive um, analysis of this offseason for the Braves. Uh, is that what you feel as well, or do you think there are some negatives that the the organization has been doing this offseason? Anything to complain about? And just your general thoughts on what's been going on? There's always stuff to complain about. Um, but no, I think in general, as you mentioned, I think everything was pretty positive. Um, there's always the uh, the segment of the fan base that doesn't like to, quote-unquote, uh, rebuild. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of want to be good all the time, and I, I get that. There's people that really want to win now and don't want to see, see down the line. And if you're one of those people, you probably hated the offseason. Um, seeing guys like Anderson Simmons go, um, guys that were part of the, quote-unquote, core of the team going back a couple years. But uh, on the whole, I think the organization's in a much better place um, now than it was uh, when, when the season ended, and uh, especially even before last season began, um, the on the on field product in the major leagues is not better, um, at least in the immediate. But the, the farm system went from being one of the worst in baseball to arguably the best, and uh, it's it's hard to emphasize how uh, important that actually is. Um, and you know, diehards will appreciate that already, but it's uh, it's kind of what we do uh, and our responsibility to inform the more casual fans. <laughs> of what that looks like um, down the line and uh, people that are not diving into prospect stuff um, every day to kind of, you know, teach people a little bit uh, about how that works. But, yeah, I was pretty happy with the, uh, with the organization's uh, direction in the offseason and especially some of the moves they made. Obviously, we'll, we can kind of dive into these specific deals, but uh, the Shelby Miller deal is sort of the one everybody points to um, as the home run. Um, just the way that uh, came together and sort of the universal, universal praise it got. Um, it's, it's rare in these days to see a move where that everyone, uh, both nationally and locally, kind of loves. Yeah, it seems like the Diamondbacks have really been on the bad side of these trades in the past few years. <laughs> For the yeah, Braves' I mean, advantage. There was, yeah, there was a, uh, another one with the Braves where they kind of, uh, they kind of stole Tuki Toussaint from, from the D-backs, uh, as well as the Justin Upton trade. So it's... Um, D-backs and the Braves kind of have a tortured history if you're an Arizona fan, but if you're a Braves fan, uh, things have gone pretty well there. Um, I've kind of batted this around. I want to see what you, what you think about it. Um, I'm of the mindset that uh, the Braves actually got they got three players in the deal, we should say that. They got um, Ender and Ciarte, Dansby Swanson, and Aaron Blair um, in the deal. And while the guys might, might not be household names to everybody, uh, I'm of the mindset that I would have done the trade for any two of those three players. <laughs> Um, yeah, I definitely think so. I, I agree with you there. I think this has been talked about, and I think we've written about it on the, sweat, the site quite a bit, but it's certainly possible that NCRT himself turns out to be just as valuable as Shelby Miller over the next three years, which is what his contract is for. So I would definitely agree that NCRT and either of the two prospects, either of the two arms that you throw in there, I would say is probably worth it. But all three of them being included is just ridiculous to me. 
Yeah, it's it was an all in an all in move by the D backs. Um, you can you know you can sort of talk yourself into it from their perspective, and if they think they're going to compete this year, which they obviously do, um, and they you know Miller's got a pedigree. He was one of the top prospects in baseball when he came up, and was good for the most part last year, uh, despite his win loss record. Um, but yeah, I, it's kind of uh, highway robbery. I, I think I, I agree with you that I, 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 if the uh, Braves had traded Miller just for Enciarte. I think it would have been seen as sort of an even trade. Mm-hmm. Maybe people wouldn't have loved it for Atlanta, but throw in the fact that Dansby Swanson, uh, who happens to be the number one overall pick in the most recent MLB draft, um, and obviously that's a guy where, again, if, if 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 it had been reported that the Braves dumped Miller straight up for Swanson, I think I would have liked that deal. Yeah. Um, and then Aaron Blair's a good prospect as well. Um, he's he's obviously the third quote unquote the third piece mm-hmm. uh, in the deal, but. As a as a throw in, which he's much better than a throw in. As, as the guy who's sort of the extra guy, he's a really nice asset as well. So that was the home run deal. I think the, some of the other deals that they, the Braves made weren't as lopsided, mm-hmm. but uh, I liked I liked them. I guess this, the other big one is uh, the Anderson Simmons trades. I don't, I don't yeah, know what before, you thought about that one. Before we jump on that one, though, I'd just like to talk about Blair a little bit more. I know uh, Ben Deronio on Twitter talks about this a lot, but he he thinks that Blair could easily be just as good as Shelby Miller is within a couple years, and I don't think that's too far off base. He's a very talented pitching prospect, and he's going to be one of the one of the names that's in the top group for Atlanta, along with um, Colby Allard, Sean Newcomb, Tyrell Jenkins. He's he's got talent, and he could be a solid middle of the ro- middle of the rotation guy for many years if he if he pans out. So, again, as as sort of the throw, and that's yes, as a, throw a nice profile to have <laughs> an extra piece exactly. And we can get more into Dansby later, but yeah, I definitely think we need to talk about the Simmons trade because. Really, without the the Simmons trade, I don't know if you see the Shelby Miller trade, at least as it turned out to be. Um, but this one surprised me more, and this one I'm a little bit more on the fence. Although I have to admit that a lot of it is because Andrelton Simmons was just my favorite player in the league, and he was obviously my favorite player to watch on the Braves. I mean, the things he does at the shortstop position is just unbelievable. He could go down as the greatest defensive shortstop in baseball history if he keeps if he keeps this pace up throughout his career. But what were your thoughts on the trade? I was a little bit caught off guard, to be honest. It seemed like one night we were hearing about uh, rumors that the Braves were listening on Simmons, and then that night the trade just happened pretty quickly, at least for me. What were you thinking when this one went down? And the trade was uh, Andrelton Simmons and a catcher named Jose Briseno for Sean Newcomb, Chris Ellis, and Eric Ibar from the Angels. Yeah, I'm sort of in the same boat as you. It's it a little bit of a surprise. I wasn't shocked by it, just knowing where the Braves are and kind of the fact that uh, everybody except Freddie Freeman, if you believe the Braves, uh, has been available. Um, mm-hmm. And I, this is the one that's more, much more divisive. Uh, Simmons is, uh, as you mentioned, a fan favorite for a lot of people. I'm a big fan of Simmons in general. Um, but at the same time, he's, he's definitely a flawed player. Um, you can be, the, you know, as you mentioned, the greatest defensive shortstop of all time, somewhere in there, uh, obviously with some respect due to Ozzie Smith and some other guys, mm-hmm. and Omar Vizquel, but... Simmons is, you know, on pace to be a player on that level, but he he really can't hit, uh, and we know that. Uh, that doesn't mean he's not a good player because mm-hmm. he is. And he's a he's a productive player, but there is a ceiling on a guy who is not has not shown the propensity to be a, a positive hitter. Yep. Over um, his over his four years, he's only posted a uh, WRC plus over 100 once, and that was in his 49 game 2012 season. So not even a full season. Um, and he's a career 256 hitter with a 304 on base percentage. And the power that he showed in the uh, 2013 season, we really haven't seen since then. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it seemed pretty pretty fluky at the time, just kind of looking at the way he looked in the minors even. Mm-hmm. There was not a the profile of a power hitter in there, and uh, I think he also kind of uh, got infatuated with that. <laughs> um, started swinging from his, uh, from his uh, tiptoes a lot, um, kind of trying to hit home runs and trying to hit for power, and that's not the kind of hitter that he is. Um, again, I love Simmons, but you know, you're talking about you're talking about a three-one player, and a three-one player is very nice. Um, and I love defense; I value defense. But if you can turn that guy into um, some real um, assets, and I think the Braves did that, I think you can justify the trade if nothing else. Yeah, I definitely think so. Sean Newcomb seemed to be the big name coming back in that trade. Do you do you have any strong opinions on Newcomb? I mean, everything I like, everything I've seen about him is is, uh, is positive. I mean. There's some debate about whether he's a number one starter, mm-hmm. and it isn't for me and what I see in the profile. I don't necessarily see a number one starter, but if you're talking about a number two guy down the line that you can get um, this early and for this much control, um, that's something you obviously want to look at. The Braves are uh, they're all in on young pitching right now. They're stockpiling those young arms. Um, and, you know, pitching is kind of a lottery ticket. Um, and that should be always uh, discussed when you talk about this kind of stuff. Newcomb is by no means a sure thing. Mm-hmm. Most pitchers are not sure things. Yeah, the um, Braves have certainly seem to take the strategy of buying as many lottery tickets as they can and hoping they strike gold with one of them. <laughs> yeah, and I and I like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's definitely um, possible that Newcomb never reaches that ceiling that we all see for him. But you know, you, I think you I think you got some you got some value for Simmons. Newcomb was uh, arguably Los Angeles's top prospect at the time. Um, and you know, in the deal, you got Eric Ibar, which Eric Ibar is a nice, a nice player in the short term. I don't know if the Braves thought about that much when they made the deal, but he is a guy you can plug in at shortstop in 2016 that won't that won't embarrass you. Mm-hmm. Um, the Braves are not going to um, compete uh, in the estimation of really anyone as currently constructed this this season. But Ibar is a guy you can you can roll out there and who can bring you some value. And uh, I'm sure that the the uh, the organization would like to have someone uh, like that back in this trade just because you don't want to go from Simmons and suddenly turn it over to some journeyman that no one's ever heard of at shortstop. It's tough to sell that. Um, mm-hmm. But when you do when you do with Ibar and obviously the piece is Newcomb. This was not a Simmons for Ibar trade, which some people have kind of overlooked the, Nuke, the Newcomb piece. And uh, this was definitely a more of a Simmons for Newcomb trade than a Simmons for Ibar trade. And, uh, you know, I don't. I don't absolutely love it in the way that you do the uh, the Miller trade, but mm-hmm. it's definitely justifiable, and I think I like it um, knowing what I know about Newcomb. Yeah, I think we should turn now to just the general, the general path of the Braves' uh, turnaround. What we've seen this offseason. What do you think about their? I guess a lot of people would call it tanking, but to all the people who who don't like that, I just point to the Cubs and to the Astros. I mean, these teams looked deadly this season, and they got to where they are today by really throwing in the towel for a couple seasons, trading away their assets, stocking up in the farm system, and going after young players who are going to be around later when they could be, potent- could be competing again. What do you think? Do you think the Braves are taking a similar pattern? Do you think it's maybe a little bit different because they're not going for uh, the talented offensive prospects you've seen with the Cubs, or do you like either strategy more than the other? Yeah, I think the last thing you mentioned is important. Uh, it's, it's definitely similar in that there uh, there's a potential of bottoming out here. This is... This is a roster that you know. This this could this could be a bad baseball team in 2016, <laughs> um, but at the same time, if you're taking the long view, uh, both the Astros and the Cubs are kind of laid out the groundwork of what it can look like when you draft early and you build for the future and you ma- and you make trades that are future driven. Um, the thing the Braves are doing differently is uh, go- going more for, going more for pitching. 
Um, I don't love that strategy um, in and of itself in that we talked about a little bit earlier that pitching is so volatile. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about the way the Braves have done it, they've gotten so many arms that, you know, it would be pretty unlikely that they all flame out. Um, you know, that's that's a very simplistic view. But at the same time, that's – they. They didn't. They didn't just build on a couple of pitchers. They went and got ten of them. Yeah. Um, instead of you know hitching your wagon to two or three guys, they were they're taking the the wide net with that. Um, and hopefully, um, I would say hopefully, in my opinion, they um, with the high pick that they're probably going to have this year, they start investing in some more bats. They did pick up a a bat or two high in the draft um, this last year. And um, yeah, a guy like Austin Riley playing. Yeah. At- that's that's the type of thing that I, I like to see them do a little bit more. I'm not saying you avoid avoid pitching altogether. A lot of people have said that they, you know, now it's time to just take bats. I'm not sure that's the right that's the right move. You always want to get value, but a little bit more of an emphasis on the bats wouldn't wouldn't hurt my feelings. But I do like I do like the general direction and kind of looking towards the future in a way that um, both the Cubs and the Astros have done recently. Yeah, and I think the Braves are really playing to what they see as their strengths. I mean, historically, the Braves have been a team that is really good at developing pitching. With with a guy like Roger McDowell as your pitching coach, you kind of get that reputation. And when you look back to the 90s, they, they see themselves as being driven by pitching success. Um, so it's not really surprising to me that they would go back to that strategy. And really, when you look at the value that we've seen some of these elite starting pitchers get on the free agent market, and even trades with the Shelby Miller trade, you see how much a guy who I would say is a, a number two pitcher at best, Shelby Miller, um, commanding this kind of a haul in return in, in value just shows how much other teams value these these top-notch starting pitchers. And so if even if you don't use all of them, uh, the Braves definitely see in the future them being able to deal some of these guys for the bats if the the players like the Austin Rileys and the, the Dansby Swansons and the Ozzie Albies don't turn out to be as elite of hitters as they would like or if they feel like they need some more thump in the lineup to go along with Freddie Freeman and the powerful Nick Markakis in right field. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's a good point that you made about you know this is not a finished product, and I think a lot of fans like to look at exactly what what's on the roster, and what's in the system right now. Um, and uh, the Braves can always go down the line and make a move or two. Mm-hmm. They've kind of shown um, willingness to do that. Or eighty. Yeah, or eighty. <laughs> I mean, the most active team in baseball over the last year in terms of on the trade market. So I think they're basically just getting assets the best way that they can and from there they can flip guys i mean even signing free agents there was some talk on twitter today about you know maybe the maybe the braves targeting some of the available bats that are veterans right now and you know flipping them at the flipping them later in the season for value it's it's all about getting an asset maximizing that asset and if that, if that means trading it at an opportune time that's what you do and i, and I think john Capolello and those guys understand that and they've shown they understand that at this point yeah, I definitely agree with that. So, um, SI rated the Braves uh, the, their winter moves as an A. If you had to give them a grade, what would you be giving them this off season? Obviously, they could still make some moves, but in in general, it seems like we're about done and ready to head into spring training. Uh, what are you giving Atlanta? I think an A is pretty reasonable, just in from my standpoint of liking the the rebuild idea. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like the rebuild idea, I'm not sure they could have done it much better than they've done it. Um, the only guy they kind of haven't moved on from is Julio, is Julio Tehran. Um, well, and obviously Freddie Freeman, but Freeman, they've, they've kind of been loud about the fact that he's their cornerstone piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Tehran, I wrote about this about a month ago. His contract is so valuable yes. and, it's, and that it's so it's, it's pretty long and it's ex- extremely cheap. If you look at the way that the free agent market shaped up 
for, for veteran starters this year, it was kind of out of control. And you've got you've got Tehran locked up at a very very reasonable cost for the next uh, the next handful of seasons, uh, and also I think you would have been selling low if you moved if you moved on Julio this year after what was definitely not his best work in 2015. Mm-hmm. Um, we can go down rabbit holes, but I, I like I like the I like the direction of what happened this uh, this offseason. Uh, even if it wasn't an A, it would be a strong B plus for me. I mean, somewhere in that range where. There's a, there's a, there was not a single move they did during during the actual off season that I, that I didn't like. So um, I'm uh, I'm all in. I think B plus A somewhere in that range. Yeah, I think I'd agree with you. And and with Tehran, you to look at his contract. It's six years, thirty two point four million from uh, 2014 to 2019, with a 2020 uh, team option for twelve million. The high, the most expensive he gets is twelve million in that team option. In the 2019 season, you've got Tehran for eleven million. So if he get gets back to the the pitcher that he was before 2015, if he can bounce back a little bit and turn into even a mid rotation starter, just a solid guy you can throw out there every day and have a chance, that's some real value from his contract, like you said. And I do agree the Braves would have been selling low on him, but I'm going to go ahead and give the Braves an A minus. The minus simply becomes because I'm going to miss watching Angels and Simmons play defense. Obviously, that's not really fair to them, but it's my grade, so I get to do what I want with it, right? That's absolutely right. <laughs> All right, um, we can move along from their uh, their moves this offseason and move on to the starting rotation. Obviously, they've got a ton of young pitchers, but really, aside from two of them maybe, with Julio Tehran and Bud Norris, none of them have really proven themselves at the major league level. And if you look at Bud Norris, do you really want that track record in your starting rotation? Yeah, I mean... You, <laughs> Who I do you think is going to be in the in the Braves rotation when, when we uh, break with opening day? we got... We've got a ton of young guys for five spots, and you would assume Tehran, Norris, and Whistler get three of them to at least start the season, right? Am I off base there? No, I think that's a pretty safe assumption. I think there's probably a situation where Norris doesn't if something weird happens or if mm-hmm. he just looks awful in the spring. Um, but I think Tehran and Whistler are pretty much guaranteed spots. Um, there's been a lot of talk about this. Uh, I think USA Today was the was the site that came yeah. out and kind of rated the Braves as the worst rotation in the, in the, in the league going in 2016. Um, I don't necessarily agree with that, but there, at the same time, there is a scenario where it looks like that. Um, if the Braves elected to go with, with the quote-unquote veterans and uh, coming out, guys like Williams Perez, um, guys like <laughs> Kyle Kendrick that they signed as a non-roster guy, mm-hmm. um, if they want the veteran route, um, it could be pretty ugly uh, aside from aside from Tehran. I think Whistler's going to be the... That's the young guy that's going to be there. But if they go with the, the low upside vets, it'll be pretty ugly. My guess is um, Tehran Whistler, uh, Norris, as you mentioned, I think they're, I think they're probably going to give um, Fultonavich another opportunity. Yep. Um, and, and, at least, and at least until he proves that he can't do it. Um, and then the, the fifth. And there's also the, some rumors that came out that he might even start the season on the disabled list as he's still recovering from that blood clot that he had. Yeah, I mean. That's the kind of stuff that, that right now in, in February, before guys get to camp, mm-hmm. this exercise is definitely an interesting one because we just don't have the information that they're going to have on yeah. this. Um, and, you know, Freddie's kind of, in the past, given a lot of credence more than I'd like to spring training performance on a couple of guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something we have to weigh. I mean, there's, I think there's a couple of guys who are probably going to be there, but the end of it could just be pure um, performance, which I don't necessarily love, but... If we assume Tehran, Whistler, Norris, and Perez, and Fultonavich, that's five. Um, if you mentioned if Fulte's not in, there, not in the lineup or not available, you got guys like Ryan Weber. You got Manny Benuelos. Top prospect, Ryan Weber. Top 
I mean, exactly. <laughs> uh, you got you got Kyle Kendrick, as we mentioned before. Uh, the Braves also brought in um, Yolis Yolis Chassin, yeah, um, who's actually shown some some flashes in his career while in Colorado. But again, that's a pitcher in Colorado and a guy with an injury track record. So there's. <laughs> Uh, I'm not convinced of really anything outside of uh, Tehran and Whistler, but um, what do you think it's going to look like? Uh, I'm surprised to have not heard you uh, mention Tyrell Jenkins. I really think that he's going to have a, a good chance to make the, the starting rotation, and I'm excited about this guy. He doesn't have the strikeout numbers that you maybe want to see, but in, uh, in Gwinnett last season, he had 3.57 ERA. Let's see, he had... 29 strikeouts to 20 walks, so I think he's he's one of these like high high floor, lower ceiling guys. I don't think Tyrell Jenkins is ever going to be a number one or two pitcher, but I really think that that he'll have a chance to prove himself this season. And really, I'm wondering if you think that the Braves will lean towards these younger guys in a season that we've already talked about. They're not going to be competing this year, so isn't this the best season for them to come out and really give all these young guys an opportunity rather than giving the Cal Kendricks, the Chassins, the Bud Norris's those innings, or what are your opinions on that? Yeah, I think it's probably some more some more in the middle. Um, coming out of spring, um, and there's there's pros and cons to starting a guy in the rotation that's a young guy. Yeah. Um, you don't want to start a guy in the rotation and then have to send him down. Ideally, um, there, there's going to be some, some confidence stuff there. There can be some innings limit stuff there as well mm-hmm. for the super young guys. I know going into last year, that was sort of the concern with Fulte was that they didn't want to start him and then you know have to limit his innings later in the year. Um, you know, I really don't want to see the the Braves invest a lot of innings in guys like Kendrick and mm-hmm. in guys like really even Williams Perez. I'm not a big fan of Williams Perez. Yeah, I I talked about this term. last season. I don't I don't believe in Williams Perez. His fastball is not there for me. Really, his only the only pitch that I like is his changeup. And if he doesn't have his fastball to to really set that pitch up, I don't think he's got anything going for him. Yeah, I mean, I, at some point you have to eat innings. So that's what that's where the guys like Norris come into play. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna have to. Have, you know, throw a guy out there for 180 innings um, at some point during the season. But as you mentioned, I think it would be a good idea to, to kind of invest in some of the younger guys early. I didn't mention Jenkins, but I, I agree with you. I, at least let him at least let him start and see how that goes. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people think he's a reliever long term, and I don't necessarily d- disagree with that. But you have to get, at least give him a shot, whether it be in spring or somewhere in the minors, somewhere where he's going to have an opportunity to legitimately start and prove that he can't do it. Um, you don't want to pay, and the same thing, same thing goes with Fulte, even on a high profile scale. Uh, Fulte's got to prove to me that he can't start. I think we're we're almost there. Um, in fairness, I think Fulte kind of <clears throat> profiles like, as a as a late inning reliever, yeah. more than anything. But at the same time, you don't want to just rule it before before he absolutely proves that he can't do it. So, uh, giving the young guys a chance is a good idea, but you don't want to start a guy um, too early. Like a lot of people, you know. There'll be some talk about Newcomb. There'll be some mm-hmm. talk about Lucas Sims. Those guys, and they're not—they're not ready to start their season rotation. Um, same thing with Aaron Blair. Even I think they'd be wise to kind of take it slow on the younger guys who are mm-hmm. a little bit further away. But those guys who are borderline, like Fulte and uh, and Tyrell, I would—I would definitely like to see them be invested in early. Yeah, I agree with that. And and we're definitely going to see many of these guys come up as the season progresses. Like we 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 got a number of pitchers last season, but there's a chance you could have, have even more during the 2016 season, and I'm just excited to see some of these guys that we've been reading about and we've been hearing about, but we really haven't seen them on the mound at all. So even if the Braves are terrible, there will be some storylines to watch here for sure, and I'm, I'm excited to see what, what goes on with that and see how these pitchers develop. And I think that about wraps it up for the first episode of the Talking Chop podcast. 
Uh, we really appreciate you guys tuning in and listening to us ramble about the Braves for a little bit. As I said earlier in this podcast, we're going to try and be coming at you regularly once a week throughout the season to talk about whatever the Atlanta Braves are getting up to. We're going to try to cycle in some of the writers on the masthead. Um, we can get their opinions coming to you guys, as well as Brad and myself, who, who will probably be on here for the most part hosting this thing. You can follow Brad on Twitter at btroland, and you can follow myself at Carlos A. Colazzo. And, of course, you can follow the site at Talking Chop. Be sure to keep dropping in on the, on the website, letting us know what you're thinking in the comments section. And also feel free to let us know if you have any questions or any topics that you think we should cover in the podcast, either on Twitter or on the website itself. We will definitely be looking for that so we can be sure to talk about what you guys think are important for the Atlanta Braves. Again, thank you for listening, and until next time, have a good one.